We are in Genesis chapter 3, and we're continuing where we left off the last time. And we talked a little bit more about doctrine the last time we talked about Genesis chapter 3. And so you remember, you may remember the old story where, where, where Adam and Eve ate of the fruit that they were instructed not to eat, the fruit of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and um, now he confronts Adam and Eve, and we talked a little bit about this the last time I spoke, but we're just going to touch on it and look at it from a, from a different way today. So, so uh, um, in verse 11 of Genesis chapter 3, it says, And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave to me from the tree, and I ate. The last part of his sentence is, I ate. That is his confession. The Lord started asking him questions to bring about from him the confession. But he didn't give the confession without first blaming his wife and blaming God. He said, the woman, the woman that you gave to me. So he's blaming his wife, he's blaming God. And it's very typical for people to play the victim when they've done some sort of wrong, we often play the victim like, it's not all my fault. I'm, you know, it, it's, it's got to be someone else's fault, even God's fault. You know? We play the victim, and that's what he's doing. Then, God, th- then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. There she gave her confession, but not without first blaming it on the serpent. Again, the victim. If you hadn't have made this serpent... There'd be no problem. So it's ultimately, it's your fault. That's what we do. Now God confronts the serpent. And from the serpent, he never gets a confession. He never tries to get a confession. The serpent is one of the creatures that God had created. Satan infills him, as we had seen in Revelation uh, the last time. And, and uh, um, now what I want to do is I, I want to look at this in a little bit different version. I want to read from from the Young's literal translation, because it'll give us a little bit better sense here. A um, little bit better sense here of, of, of what's happening. And what I want to do is, is, is focus in on, on the confrontation now in verse 14 of, of Genesis chapter, chapter, uh, uh, chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. And it says, And Jehovah God. So we have this name Yahweh or Jehovah this personal name of God, and then God, this Adonai, this, this grand, grand one. So Jehovah God saith unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, cursed art thou above all cattle and above every beast of the field. On thy belly dost thou go and dost thou eat all the days of thy life. So what the author here is doing is he's taking the Hebrew and trying to make a more literal translation, which is harder for us to get today, but I want to see the context here. And he specifically curses the serpent. He said, Cursed art thou. Then he says in verse 15, An enmity I will put between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. We looked last time that the seed in the Bible always came through the man. Always. Except in this case. He speaks of the seed of the woman. And we get no further understanding on this until Isaiah chapter 7, when it talks about a virgin being born that was talked about in in the service today. A virgin being born to a woman. And, and, uh, uh, And so then we see, and then we understand from the New Testament, how Jesus 
was born of a virgin. That's why it's the seed of the woman rather than in any other context. In the Bible, you always see the seed of the man is spoken about. And that there will be this enmity between the, tr- the two. And then, then you look, you look at, at what he says. He, he, then, then he talks about the, 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 uh, the fighting between the seed of the woman and the seed of, 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 of the, the serpent. Verse 15, an enmity I will put between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. He doth bruise thee the head, and thou dost bruise him the heel. But I will put enmity between you and the woman. Specifically, God says that the serpent is going to have enmity with the woman in particular. Verse 16, And unto the woman he said, Multiplying, I will multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. So you see, he never curses the woman. He cursed the serpent, never cursed the woman. Had he cursed man or woman, we'd be in big trouble. Unto the woman he said, multiplying, I will multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In other words, I'm going to multiply the number of conceptions you have now. When the woman and the man were to live, and constantly human beings living to very old ages, or living if they had eaten of the tree of life, living physically forever possibly, there were going to be less births. But now that the human lives were going to die off, and you say, well, humans back then lived 700 years, 800 years, Methuselah, 960-something years. How can that be? Well, you don't understand that because you don't understand entropic decay. When you consider entropic decay, you can actually look at an entropic decay curve and you see very sharp declination in, 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 in uh, uh, the longevity, and then it curves around and becomes flat. We are in the flat portion now. And you can track the names in the Bible and see their ages, and in the first several generations, they live very long, which is real typical for entropic decay. Then it drops very sharply, dropped very sharply after the flood, possibly because of this covering being removed. And then you see these lifetimes in the 200 years, 150, 200 years at that curve, and then it just flattens right out. But in any case, if they're going to live very long, they're not going to have as many babies. He's saying, I'm going to multiply your conceptions. I know that many of our Bibles today in English will translate this, I'm going to multiply your pain in childbearing. That's why I wanted you to see the literal translation, multiplying I will multiply. You think God is speaking about how I'm going to multiply a lot? You know, multiply, multiply? I'm going to multiplying I will multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. What we're going to key in on today is sorrow. He's going to bring sorrow to humankind because of this decision. Sorrow comes in. So if you've ever been melancholy, have you ever been sorrowful or melancholy? Like, that's the story of my life? <laughs> like, every day of my life? Where does this come from? Why is this? Why does this happen? Once in a while, very rarely, I will meet a man who just never seems to be down. Never. I'm like, you know, I want to poke them. Are you real? I mean, you just, you just, uh, don't you ever have a bad day? But once in a while you meet people like that. But in general, people struggle. Life is a struggle. And so you're not alone in this. He says, multiplying, I will multiply thy sorrow and thy, con- and thy conception. In sorrow dost thou bear children. I mean, women have babies and you'd think they'd be ecstatic. What happens? They go into this postpartum depression. Oh, something's wrong with me. No, it says it right here. Has anyone here ever had postpartum depression? Okay. 
Then she's the only person here who's had a baby. <laughs> I mean, this is normal. This is normal. God says, in sorrow dost thou bear children. I have never known a mother not to have sorrow at different events of her children growing up. I've never known a mother. Every mother goes through sorrow, sorrowful times concerning their children. Decisions their children make. Jesus even said to Mary, I mean, this is going to pain your heart when you see what your son's going to go through. This is the great virgin Mary. Jesus said to her, or, 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 God said to her, this is going to happen. And toward thy husband is thy desire, and he doth rule over thee. Because of the fall, the woman is now going to be ruled over by her husband. That was part of the fall. We don't see that. Now, some theologians will say that was always meant to be. Before, he says, in thy image, he created them male and female. In his image, he created them male and female. Here you see, after the fall, this, this coming under your husband. It says, and in verse 17, And to the man he said, Because thou hast hearkened to the voice of thy wife, and dost eat of the tree concerning which I have charged thee. So for two reasons. Because you listened to somebody who told you to do what was wrong, and because you did what was wrong. So for us to blame, well, he told me to do it, you get hit doubly hard. You get hit for doing it, and you get hit for listening to the person who told you to do something that God didn't tell you to do. So don't play the victim. Or you get hit doubly hard. Which I charge thee, saying, Thou dost not eat of it. Cursed is the ground on thine account. Again, he did not curse the man. He cursed the ground. On thine account, he says, In sorrow thou dost eat of it all the days of thy life. You're going to have sorrow every day. So if you think that, why is it every day, you know, I get hit with some melancholy. Why is it? Right there, it's written. Surprise. It's not a surprise anymore. It's right there. This is natural. So don't feel on yourself like, this is so strange. Why is this happening? I'm the only one who gets depressed. No, this hits everybody. And, and so, so he says this. Um, where were we? Cursed is the ground on thine account. In sorrow thou dost eat of it all the days of thy life. And thorn and bramble it doth bring forth to thee, and thou dost eat of the herb of the field. By the sweat of thy face thou dost eat bread till thy return to the ground, for out of it thou hast been taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt turn back. So in other words, he now speaks to him that your life is temporal now. You're not going to live forever. So when he told them, you eat of this fruit, you're going to die, that day they died spiritually. Then he also told them, you are now going to die also physically. There's going to come a day that you're going to return and you're going to, you're going to die physically as well. He says, now you're going to have to work this earth and it's going to bring forth thorns and bramble. Before, all they had to do was tend the garden. In other words, the fruit just came yielding forth. The fruit came. They just had to pick it. Now, in sweat and in sorrow. You know, it's an act of mercy for God to make us now sweat in our fallen state. Now that man, humankind is fallen, it is good that we have to work with sweat. Because I always feel this way. If you do not take young people and give them something constructive to do with them li their lives, if all they had to do, you know, they could just get all they wanted. 
in our fallen state, young men who are teenagers and in their 20s generally become terrorists who have nothing to occupy their day. They get into all sorts of trouble. Young women get into trouble too. There is something about having to work that keeps us out of trouble. Remember, Adam was able to sin or not sin. He could make the choice. After he sinned, he was unable not to sin. And that is the state that we're in, Paul says. We are unable not to sin. As much as we try not to, we still end up falling into it. But what I want to key in upon is this very sense of the melancholy and the sorrow that fills humankind. Let's look at individuals in the Bible, great men in the Bible. We're going to look at Elijah, Elijah the prophet. In 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah just had an amazing success, an amazing success where he, he, he defeated all the prophets of Baal. Jezebel comes and sends word to him, far be it from me if I don't make you like those prophets of Baal that were just killed by tomorrow at this time. So this great prophet gets scared. He goes from Mount Carmel to Beersheba, it says. That's 120 miles straight south. Mount Carmel's up by Haifa. And then he goes 120 miles south to Beersheba. And then that's where we pick it up in verse 4, 1 Kings 19. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. So from Beersheba, he then went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came and he sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under a juniper tree. This is classic depression. Lord, just take my life. I just want to die. So what do you do when you're depressed? You go to sleep, right? I just go to sleep. Just forget about it. Has this not ever hit anybody? Has anybody ever been through this? Okay, a few of you. For you freshmen that haven't been through this, you just wait. <laughs> this is classic depression. He prays. He says, Lord, take my life. He says, I just want to die. This feeling that it would be better for the world if I just died. This is the great prophet. You're not alone in this feeling. And so he said, I'll just go to sleep. So he goes to sleep. He lay down under juniper tree and he went to sleep. And behold, there was an angel touching him. And he said to him, arise and eat. Then he looked and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Okay, so... An angel comes and wakes him up. It's okay, you slept for a while. I got something for you. So God sends an angel with food. Freshly baked bread and water. He says, eat. So what does Elijah do? He wakes up. He says, oh. Okay. And he eats. Then what does he do? He goes back to sleep. I mean, imagine the angel is probably looking up at God like, he's asleep. What do I do now? The angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he ate again and then he sent him on a journey. This is normal. Going through times of melancholy is normal. You know, on Friday, just this past Friday, for some strange reason, Friday morning, I was feeling just on top of the world. And I was thinking, Lord, how long could this last? Because I, I just know from life it can't last like this. 
And by the end of Friday, I'd been so beat up with different things on Friday. It was like I came home, I said to Shereen, I said, wow. And, and so for me, I, I go through these fits of depression, like, like for 10 minutes. But it, it's usually short-lived. But Friday, it was like several hours. It was strange. And, and, uh, and I know for some of you, it's more than several hours. But that's okay. I'm just saying, we all go through this. You know, it, it depends on the amplitude of the, the sinusoidal effect that we have here. And, and, and he says, Elijah goes through this. Now, now let's look at another one. Let's look at Jonah. Jonah now, in Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4, reading from verse 5. Then, so Jonah was this great prophet. He goes to Nineveh. He prophesies. He didn't want to be prophesying to these people because he had to prophesy to these people that he didn't like. He wanted God to just destroy them. And God says, no, go warn them. He said, I'd rather not warn them. Let them die. So anyway, he goes and he prophesies to these people, if you don't repent, you know, God's going to kill you all. And so what do they do? They repent. And he was upset that they lived. He was upset that they repented. So he, he was going back. He just wanted to, to watch over the city and see God just, just hit him with fire. Just wanted to see it. There was, Jonah went out from the city and he sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. Jonah wasn't just happy, he was extremely happy. He's, boom, he's right at the peak, at the crest of happiness. You'd think this is going to last some time. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. And when the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and he begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. I mean, you're going from extremely happy to saying, Lord, I just want to die. Don't think that your life is so strange. Jonah was like us. You go through seasons of this. You know, I, I, I think about, about this, this tragedy of, of, of suicide among the youth, teen suicide. I mean, just, I'm like, if you just give this thing another day, you'd be totally different. Just come and see me if you're thinking about it. Come and see me. I mean, I'll, I'll just hold you away from this for a day and then all of a sudden you'll be recovered. Jonah went through this. Then God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. I mean, God's like, what? God's trying to reason with, do you really have good reason to be angry about the plant? Oh, yes, I do. That's what Jonah did. God's looking to the angels like, what's with this guy? You know, what's going on here? And so he says, he, he says, um, uh, and then God starts to reason with him. Then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and their left hand, as well as many animals? He tried to give Jonah an object lesson. He didn't have him 
bear that scorching east wind just for the fun of watching him suffer. He was trying to teach him something. You love that plant. I love those people. They're worth much more than that. Let's look at David, King David. King David was in trouble because he committed adultery with the wife of one of his soldiers, Uriah, who was out fighting for him. So he commits adultery with his wife. And then he has the guy killed to cover it up. And so then the woman becomes pregnant and this baby's born. And so he's praying for the life of his child. And so just sometimes we, things come upon us just because, because life hits us. Life hits us and we do things wrong. This is clearly from a wrong that David did. Then David, in verse 16 of 2 Samuel chapter 12, David therefore inquired of God for the child, and David fasted and lay all night on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him in order to raise him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and he would not eat food with them. Then it happened on the seventh day. So for seven days he laid on the ground and would not eat. Tell me when you're depressed. Tell me about that. You go seven days laying on the ground without eating. And then I'll say, okay, you hit biblical proportions of sorrow right now. All right? If you eat anything, I'm going to tell you, you're not quite where David was. This is part of life. Let's, let's look at another sa- sample. Let's look at Job chapter 3, starting at verse 3. I mean, Job, I mean, we can go through all through Job and find these things. But look at some of the things he says of himself. Job 3, verse 3. That the day, and remember, of Job it says there was no greater man in all the East than Job. He was righteous. It says of Job that he was a righteous man, and there was no one greater in all the East. And then these things came upon him. If only he had been the second greatest, nothing of Holly would have happened to him. But because he was the greatest. Verse 3, let the day perish on which I was to be born. And the night which said, a boy is conceived. May that day be darkness. Let not God above care for it, nor let light shine on it, because it did not shut the opening of my mother's womb or hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth, come forth from the womb and expire? Why did the knees receive me and why the breasts that I should suck? Have you ever felt, why was I even born? Life, the world would be better off without me. If you've never felt that, you will someday. These things come upon people. I'm telling you, they are natural even upon men of God. The greatest man of the East. The greatest man. The most righteous man. In in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 32, verse 30 and onward, Moses cries out to the Lord. He says, you know, if if you're just going to Hurt these people, just take my life. And don't just take my life. Blot me out of your book. In other words, forever blot me out. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 20. Great prophet Jeremiah. Listen to this guy. This guy minces no words. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 14. Cursed be the day when I was born. Let the day not be blessed when my mother bore me. Why do you think God gives us the word of God filled with men who have times of weakness. Why doesn't he just give us prophets who are always strong? Because then we could never relate to them. What I love about the scriptures, it is filled with people just like me, with the same sorrows as I have, 
the same pains that I have. And this is who God sets before us to demonstrate what it is to walk with Him. Now remember, this is the great prophet speaking. What he would speak would occur. I would have hated to be working in the hospital when he was born. Because he says in verse 15, Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father saying a baby was born to you and made him very happy. But let that man be like the cities which the Lord overthrew without relenting and let him hear an outcry in the morning. I mean, he's calling down curses on the man who reported to his father that a baby, you've had a baby boy. I mean, this guy was, was pretty upset. What about the Lord himself, the Messiah? Isaiah chapter 53, the messianic, the messianic test. Isaiah chapter 53, the, the, the end of, of Isaiah 52, all of Isaiah 53 is a messianic prophecy. It describes what the life of the Messiah was going to be like. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, it says, He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. It says people would see Jesus and do this. They'd hide their face. He was a man of sorrows. How does the Bible describe the Messiah? A man of sorrows. This came upon the human race at the time of the fall. So what is it that we do? How do we live with this? Turn to Romans chapter 8. This is how we live with this. God gives us a way in the midst of sorrow that hits us in life. He gives us a way. In Romans chapter 8 verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather he who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who also intercedes for us. It says Christ Jesus intercedes for us. That means Jesus is in heaven praying for us. Even in the midst of our sorrows, he's praying for us. Who will separate us from the love of God? From the love of Christ will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword. Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep for the slaughter. He's, he's quoting from, Psalm, from, from the book of Psalms. Now in verse 37. But in these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you have a feeling that God doesn't love you, guess what? You're wrong. That may be your feeling, but the reality is you are wrong. And so you are to remember that God loves you. And your life is precious to Him. Philippians, we're going to end with this. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's where I was on Friday. And I read that verse and I fell before the Lord and I offered my petition to God and I explained why I was sorrowful, what I was going through, and God brought reassurance to my heart. I thought I had really blown a situation. And God reassured me. 
okay, it's blown. But I can make it work another way. I said, yeah, God, you can. You can do it another way. And then it was all better. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. He says, you think about good things. So say my kids come home complaining about something. Shireen is so good at this. She just says, stop right there. I want you to start thanking God for everything you have. Thank Him for the eyes that you have to see. Thank Him for the ears that you have to hear. Thank Him for the house the roof that you have over your head. Thank Him for, for all the great things you have, for you have food on the table. You start thanking God. You just go to your room and start thanking Him for thank you that you have your desk. Thank you that... When you get done with that, you'll have so much to thank Him for, you forget about all the bad things. That's what He says. You just give thanks for everything around you that you have. And it takes your mind off these other things. And here's the final verse. The things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, That's Paul speaking. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What you've heard today, you practice these things. And when you go through these seasons of melancholy, whether it's because of sin that you brought upon your own life or because of just nothing, you were doing fine and then all of a sudden just this feeling of sorrow has come upon you. Just remember, you're not alone. You dwell on the good and the right things. You practice what it says here and you will have peace. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Peace comes through practice. Peace comes through practice. You practice these things. That means you apply them over and over and over again. You practice these things. You practice your serve in tennis. That means you... Okay, I served. I'm done practicing. No, over and over and over again you do this. You practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Abba, Father, I thank you so much for your word, for the truth of your word. And I pray, Lord, that you'd get a hold of these young hearts, that if there ever be a thought of suicide among them, Father, that they would remember this, that they are just like all the prophets who have gone before them, and even like the Messiah himself, who was a man of sorrows. And Father, that they would cause their mind to dwell on the good things that you've done in their lives that they have a desk, that they have a backpack, that they have a university, that they have a place, that they have a family, that there's people around them. Father, I pray that they would dwell on these things and that they would practice these things and you would so lift them out of it. Father, I pray for these young people, the blessing and the grace of God be upon them. Father, for those here who do not know you, who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord, Father, I pray this very day they would pray with me and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. And Father, that you would change them from deep within. Fill them by the power of the Holy Spirit and save their souls this day, I pray. Save them this day. And Lord, I commit these precious, precious young hearts to you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.